Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, How would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy to use mobile app, available 24 hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. A camel turn Hello, welcome to a very special episode of the Fighting Cop podcast. Today I'm joined by Evening Standards Chief Football Correspondent Dan Kilpatrick. How are you doing, mate? Very well. How are you? Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to settle. Actually, when people hear... No, this, I'll put this out today. So they probably... If you're listening to this on a day of recording, then uh, yeah, have a great Christmas. Um, we, I'm, I'm excited. What, are you excited for the big day? Uh, yes. Do you, do you mean, still get excited at this age? <laughs> yeah, I suppose I do. I get excited about just like going home and sort of guilt-free... Um, yeah eating cheese and and just sort of doing nothing um although obviously there's a there's a lot of work 
Um, I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot. It's yeah. a busy time for for you, you know, and anyone who works in football. This is a really busy time, right? Yeah, I mean, I've literally just done a Conte press conference on Zoom. So he was 9am Christmas Eve, um, which was fine and quite nice to get out of the way. Um, he normally does 2pm. I would have been a bit gutted because I'm probably going to go to the pub this afternoon. So I would have oh, yeah. annoyed if it had been 2pm. Um, and then, yeah, obviously a game on, on Boxing Day and then, and then games on the 28th and New Year's Day. So, yeah, it, it will be really busy. But... Um, because of circumstances that we all know about, I've had a nice sort of two-week break um, from Spurs where there wasn't really much to do. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I can't complain. Same, same actually. I mean, I do, I do. Um, obviously, I want to see Spurs play, but whenever there's an international break, that's like a holiday for me, so I don't have to do much, which is, uh, which is. Yeah, that, that used to be the case for me, but now I do England. Not that I begrudge doing England, but. I do. Sounds, like, sounds like yeah. It sounds like you do. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you do? I know. I know. I, I mean, I can guess what a chief football correspondent is, but what what in real terms on a day to day, what what is it you do? Well, my job hasn't really changed since, since I got that title. I mainly still do Spurs day to day. So my job is to go to Spurs matches and do all the press conferences and events, and then obviously cover them day to day for the Evening Standard paper. Um, so really, Spurs is kind of always my priority to sort of fill fill any any new slots with Spurs news. But I think I have got a slightly bigger remit to cover other London clubs now, and and, and obviously England as well. Um, you have we, to write about Arsenal sometimes. Not really, because we do have reporters that do Chelsea, Arsenal, and West Ham. So we we sort of we we cover the the big four in London really well, uh, and then we've got good reportage of kind of Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, and Brentford as well. Sorry, that's my. Uh, Don't worry, it's fine. It's all good. Barking in the background. That's um, no. yeah, what kind of dog is it? Not being home for Christmas. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's it's mainly still Spurs, but I um I, I do a little bit more of other other stuff, particularly England now. Yeah, um, and so what what is like you're a Spurs fan, Dan? Right, I know that from yeah. from I've known you for for years now. But your your um does does your relationship with the club and how you support Spurs change because fundamentally you have to look at it in a different way? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense, and and yeah, it, it is hard to be a fan and a beat reporter covering the club. I think, and I've always said really that as soon as I first started covering Spurs on the beat, which was back with ESPN, back in you know, the start of Potcher's second season. As soon as I started doing that, you, you kind of have to separate your reporter side and your fan side. You know, literally, you, you can't go to the games and celebrate and, and behave in the same way. And I think you always have to be conscious. Um, well, what, 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 why can't you? What, what, what would happen? Well, well, I guess because nothing would happen, really, except that you would be considered really unprofessional. Um, I mean, there's some legendary stories of, of kind of the Euros final, for instance. I remember there being a, a, a massive Italian supporter in the press box. It was just kind of winding up the national newspaper reporters, which was kind of half funny. Um, half, I was kind of half amused, half disapproving. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, obviously it's a professional environment, a work environment, and you know you're you're there to do a job. You know you're not there. It's not cricket to support the team. Sorry, 
It's not cricket, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's just not cricket. And where um, so you 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 telling me you and Alistair Gold are never bundled on each other when uh, <laughs> we scored against Arsenal or something? Um, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I've definitely done a little fist bump, kind of fist bump under yeah. the table, and or you know, or maybe squeezed Alistair's leg if, if I'm next to him. <laughs> you know, obviously Alistair's a, a big fan as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the the closest I've ever come to just losing it was obviously the Ajax game. I can't really remember the end of that match. It was. Was it, you there? I was there. Yeah, I was there. Right in the press box. In the press box, and it was just a blur. Um, and and you know that was definitely an occasion where you know I'd, I'd kind of hate to look back at my sort of on the whistle copy from that game because <laughs> it was probably, <laughs> probably just absolutely nonsense. But that was like <laughs> a time where you know it, it wasn't easy to to just kind of maintain professionalism. And I, I was sat next to. I remember. Clearly, a guy called Jerry Cox, who who works for an agency called Haters, and he's a big Spurs fan as well. And we definitely did more than than squeeze each other's legs. Um, yeah, but I, honestly, I, I can barely remember. But but most of the time, I find it quite easy just to kind of switch off and do and, your job, and yeah, and do my job. And and hopefully that's true of my writing as as well as kind of my reactions in the press box. Do you know there's a, a there's an, even standard journalists get an element of notoriety really and that probably might sound strange to you but when I was a kid and obviously the papers back back when I was growing up was were crucial in, in your relationship with with your club you know the what you re- read in the back of the mirror but more importantly the standard because so many people read it in London that your relationship with it was with, with the club was often di- dictated by the the um the, the 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 way the way the writer writes and the mm. way and the way you presented information and there, do you remember the guy I've forgotten his name now he's famous but he got banned from um, he got banned from coming to Spurs by Daniel Levy I think it was I can't remember his name oh really that doesn't ring any bells he was he, he was standard he, he was standard for about fifteen years ago um, fuck I'm, I'm probably uh, doesn't matter but what, all i'm saying is is that, that does it is it lost on you or is it that you're that you do have influence and people do read and be a reactive to your writing or do you not think about it no it's not it's not lost on me um although i will say i do think journalists as a whole tend to massively kind of overstate their own importance so i'm really conscious of not doing that you know yeah. I'm, I'm very aware now and, and it probably was different kind of 15 20 years ago and especially kind of 20 30 years ago sort of pre-internet but i'm very aware that if i don't work for a few weeks you know if i'm off no one really misses me and, and there are other people doing doing pretty similar stuff you know you're, you're not short nowadays of of spurs correspondence you know mm. there's great you know there's alistair who we've just mentioned um there's pe- you know great people working for the athletic um, a lot of the big newspapers have people that specialise in Spurs. Um, so it's quite different from when I first started really getting into Spurs. And I just remember it was kind of Ben Pierce was was the only guy who was going to all the games up and down the country and was always the guy who had kind of exclusive mix-zone quotes from less well-known players and, and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's different now and I don't want to overstate um, my own importance really. But I, yeah, I'm aware that you know, you, you can kind of shape fan opinion and, you know, if, if you write particularly well or make a particularly persuasive argument, then, yeah, you, you can influence the way people think about things. And 
yeah, I think over the last few years in particular, um, when opinion's been a lot more divided, shall we say, on kind of what the problems have been at Spurs, then, you know, I've definitely had my own views on that. And I've been quite keen to try and kind of push them out there while remaining sort of balanced and, and, and keeping the nuance. Um, and is it is it right. through Twitter that you do that, or or are you allowed some sort of editorial license when you're writing? I mean, I, I can I can write whatever I want. I mean, my my papers always kind of very good about just letting me decide what I write, and obviously, the, you know, the the editors will will help you out. But yeah, Twitter is a good platform because I think you, um, I mean, the, the nuance is always lost on Twitter, right? I mean, there's course, always a yeah. shortage of context, but in you know some ways that 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 can be quite helpful because you. You, you can make a strong point without having, you know, without really being able to to, to caveat it and and you know consider all the factors. So sometimes if you want to, you know, make a point, uh, you know, the whatever the the players aren't as bad as they're looking at the moment or something like that. You you can make it quite um, quickly and, and punchily, and so it is a good platform for doing that. Twitter. I found uh, I found the, the 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 writer. It was Matthew Norman, if you remember him. Um, no, no, I'll look that up. Yeah, it was in 2007. I'll just read you this this the, the opening part of this article that was published on the Press Gazette. Um, even, the Evening Standard has hit out at Tottenham Hotspur FC for banning it from covering home uh, home matches and press conferences. The North London club insists the ban ins- issued the ban after it took offence to as a, as a series of articles published in the paper by sports columnist and Spurs fan Matthew Norman which criticised the club's chairman, Daniel Levy. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah, so yeah. I think I don't think he was a kind of reporter. He had a column, didn't he? Yeah, I think he might have had a sports column, which he kind of, you know, which is a, a, essentially a, a space for an opinion piece, which he kind of used to, to hammer Levy. Um, it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's not a great look by Spurs, is it? They're banning the press, even if he is getting hammered. It's No, it's, it's not a great look. And that's really interesting. And I'm... You know, I, I I doubt they'd they'd do it now. Um, I think Spurs are, are a much kind of bigger club now, and there's there's much more media coverage, and and you just have to have a much thicker skin um, yeah. than they would have done back then. But I I'd forgotten about that. I think you should write a column and go after Daniel Levy. Bring just dredges all this up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, go to your editor and go. We're going back in. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely an interesting conversation to be had around. Um, yeah, around that topic, and you know, I, I still think this the kind of one thing that um, you know Spurs would be particularly unhappy with is what they would perceive as unfair criticism of Levy. Um, yeah. So tell me about the atmosphere at the club because a part of what you do is you're in the as much as uh, anyone can be the sort of inner gubbings of the football club, right? You're as close to the club as any fan is likely to get because of your job. So from that, I guess you can, you can, you have an idea about the mood around the football club. I think the last time we spoke was around Pochettino era, um, and you mentioned it being a good atmosphere and things going really well. That would have been around two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, maybe around that time. Mm. What um, what's the mood like now then? As far as you can tell. Yeah, so I think the mood is is really optimistic now again for, for obvious reasons. Uh, Honestly, I think as soon as Conte came in, everything around the club in terms of the perception of the club from the outside and, and the mood and, and kind of optimism about 
the short, medium and long-term future of the club just dramatically changed almost overnight. Um, and obviously a lot of that initially was was just kind of hype and, and optimism. But six, seven weeks later, I think that is gradually and almost suddenly being very justified by what we're seeing on the pitch. Mm. Uh, it, it really did, it does feel chalk and cheese com- compared to the, the Nuno era where... You know, I have to say it, it really felt quite bleak and it was quite hard to, to be optimistic about Spurs' future. Um, under Conte, I think it feels like the club are on the up again. Um, and, and, you know, you, you suddenly don't see any reason why Spurs couldn't get back in the Champions League and, you know, be challenging for, for really top honours next season. Whereas um, under Nuno, I just felt everything about the club um you know and, and things to do with you know the, my job but also things that everyone every fan could see um suggested that the club was was kind of sliding and in, almost into irrelevance i mean i don't think that's that's too strong it, it no. really did kind of feel that way for a while um so yeah i, I think conte was just has made a huge change and it's just a massive appointment because it's it's just changed the whole feel the whole perception the whole mood about Spurs and 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 what about when Jose because it's a slightly different scenario than Nuno um what about what what was what were the differences in mood then is it and is it purely to do with how you speak to the manager or is it what makes you say that the mood's better what are you picking up on and how are you coming to that conclusion well, I mean, you're speaking to people kind of obviously at the club, you know, just people. The press will be lazy on office. Oh, well, yeah. But, you know, you, you go to games and, you know, there's, there's club staff and yeah, and people around the club and you, you can gauge mood from them, first of all. Um, we don't get the same access to the players during COVID as we did before. So there used to be an area called the mix zone where you could stop maybe three or four players after each game and, and have a a chat or an interview with them that doesn't happen anymore for obvious reasons but we still do get a phone call with the players that, that I often do so you, you can pick up from them I mean and one one very significant example is that Kane literally did not do a mix zone interview for something like 18 months on Spurs duty he, he did not speak to the written media he did a few flash interviews after kind of good performances with, with the TV cameras but he didn't do anything with us and then I think I'm right in saying that after Conte's very first game in charge, so after the Vitesse game, uh, he immediately did the phone call with me. Um, what, uh, what 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 was that about though? What what, what tell me what you what well, what, what do you well, take from that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Like Keynes uh, doesn't want to have to lie, and he knew that he would be asked, "Are you happy with the club? Are you happy with the manager? Are you happy?" And he didn't want to be put in that position where he had to answer those questions when he wasn't happy with the direction of the club. Um, but as soon as Conte came in, he, he kind of effectively declared himself back on side by getting on the end of the phone and, and you know, doing an interview. Um, and then, you, you know, you can read that interview um, and he's he's quite measured. But for me, the, the fact that he did the interview was more significant than anything he said in it. How long uh, did you have with him? Yeah, like five minutes, you know, he, these these phone calls and, and in yeah. fact, face-to-face mixing interviews were, were kind of rarely more than five or six minutes. You know, it's just a chance to ask, maybe ask a couple of key questions about the match, but 
yeah, it was always a good opportunity to sort of gauge mood and, and see how players were. And, and occasionally you could get some, you know, really interesting or insightful stuff. But, but Kane doing that interview was was the, the biggest indicator immediately that the the whole mood had changed in the Spurs squad. Yeah. And, what, and, and did you know that you were getting Kane, or is it you just pick up a you pick up the phone and there's just a player on the end of it? It was quite funny. You you, norm, you often don't know who you're going to get until the phone call happens, or, or maybe you will get a heads up from the press officer. But on that occasion, I think uh, they did give us did give me a, a decent heads up that it was going to be Kane. So uh, so sorry sorry. So when so sometimes you pick up the phone and you don't know which player it is. Yeah yeah, which made the job really difficult. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. and but but and and I guess you the first part of that conversation is you you're trying to work out who it is. No, so you, so the press officer will call you and say, "Hi, Dan, I'm here with Ryan Sessegnon, right, right, here with okay. Evan Sanchez." But but obviously you'll you'll have different questions for different players, so that that can be quite tricky. But on that occasion, they did give us a good heads up that Kane was going to do it, which which made uh, life a bit easier. You don't have to answer this, but I bet there's some players you would. Oh, jeez, not him. Not yeah, him. of course. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some good speakers and there's some not so good speakers. And yeah, um, that was uh, one of the great things about covering Spurs under Pochettino. There are many good things. Is that there were lots of really, really good um, speakers who, who kind of enjoyed stopping for interview, which I think I took for granted at the time because it was kind of my first proper job, but. You know, Vitonga yeah. and Alderweireld, Eriksson, Rose, obviously, Dembele, Kane, Delhi. You know, they, they all happy. could be really, really good and, and insightful. I guess that shows a happy squad as well as the more that are, are willing to um, to talk to you and stuff because definitely, yeah, things are going positive. There's, there's less like they're going to upset people, and when things are going bad, you don't necessarily often want to hear from the players unless you know. It, as fans, and you'll know this as well, Dan, is that sometimes, um, you know, you just don't want to hear the platitudes or you don't want to hear the just the, the cliche, we've got to try harder, we've got to come together, we've got to work together as a group, we've got to pull in the same direction. It doesn't mean anything because you've heard it a million times before. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, but when they're... Um, when things are going great, you're, you're fascinated. You want as much information as possible. You want to hear everything they're saying. Um, what's it like talking to Antonio Conte? It's great. I'm really enjoying covering Conte. Uh, does he have does, does he have charisma when he talks? I think it was Pirlo who said that Conte's words assault you when when you hear them. Um, and there's there's definitely something to that. It, it always feels like there's a lot of he puts a lot of thought in, into what he says, Conte, and that there's always a lot of weight behind what he says. Um, not to really dig out Nuno, but Nuno spoke in, had a lot of kind of cliches and, and sort of buzzwords and, and phrases that he used over and over again. And Conte does as well. So he'll often say things like, you have to suffer and you know, I want to exploit the situation. And, you know, we have to work hard on aspects. But, but it, it does genuinely feel to me like Conte kind of means... Uh, these and, and what he says more um it feels like he genuinely believes in, in what he's saying and he's not just trying to get through um a press conference um when he wants to make a point like he did this morning um when he said that the premier league managers meeting was like talking to a wall um he's very good at making the point and he can make it in um 
and not so many words. He, he can be pretty punchy. Um, but you know, he's he's not he's not an explosive speaker. He's not Mourinho, where you know you you could have um, five different questions and, and five different amazing news lines. You know, he's he's not like that. But when he wants to make a point, as he did about the Conference League last week, when he talked about it being unfair and Spurs wanting to appeal, or this morning, um, he, he knows how to make it, and you know he knows how to kind of set the news agenda. Um, but he, he's also very very polite, very friendly, very respectful. Um, and again, you know, to, to, to go back to, to Nuno, obviously he disliked the the press conference format immensely. And he could borderline, I thought, be a bit disdainful in, in the fact that he just didn't want to answer any questions. And, and that got very frustrating. So it's it's been refreshing having Conte, who's willing to put a lot of thought into his answers, give you a long answer and, and generally just kind of engage with, with reporters um, in the press conference format. Um, what, what's your, what was your take on the the Nuno appointment and the kind of the, the really what's what seemed to be a um, an yet search for a new manager? Like, did you did you know anything behind the scenes or stuff you haven't reported that of why we couldn't we couldn't find a manager? Or why we didn't have a plan? What was what was being said, or even even by other journalists? What was being said that that why we struggled to find to get someone in, and then and then went for Nuno? Do you know anything? Or well, I think you've you've captured the biggest problem there when you said Spurs didn't have a plan, and and I, and I think that was it in a nutshell, really. But Dan Levy always seems to have one, so that's why it's so surprising that he went on for so long. He always feels like he knows what's next, and he didn't I, seem to. I think Le- Levy is genuinely a visionary when it comes to business plan. But I think, you know, occasionally when it comes to running the, the football side of the club, you know, he has tended to make decisions in a lot more short-term way. Um, you know, we have seen that in the past. And I think... You know, I think a number of things contributed. I mean, one of them, I mean, one of them was just the fact that, um, it, you know, the, the weird conditions, you know, caused by the pandemic, and it was a kind of weird market for players and a weird market for managers. It also feels to me a bit like we're, we're kind of between eras of managers in a way. I mean, there, there are there are loads of established you know, world class managers, and Spurs now have one, of course. But but as soon as Conte rejected. Spurs in the summer, um, you know, it felt like there was this kind of generation of up and coming managers who weren't quite ready yet. I, I, I don't think Graham Potter was, was probably quite ready for the job. Um, there are a few others in, in a similar vein who Spurs kind of admired, but but didn't think were ready for that step up. Um, so there, there was a kind of it was a kind of strange market. Um, but really, Spurs just didn't have a plan, and they they just kind of lurched from one target. To, to another without really thinking it through. They obviously changed direction midway through the manager search when uh, Paratici came in. I mean, Steve Hitchin had a, a kind of original shortlist that he had drawn up that I think with hindsight, you know, looked pretty sensible. I mean, Ten Hag was on there and, and he's done so well with Ajax this year that I think, you know, with hindsight, that would have probably been quite an, quite an exciting appointment in the summer. Mm. Potter was on there. Poch was obviously on there as well, but that that list got sidelined uh, when Paratici came in. He obviously had his own ideas, and and the, the, his main idea was Conte. Um, 
it didn't happen. Um, but perhaps when it didn't happen, you know, Spurs, <clears throat> instead of going for Nuno, who felt like a, a kind of short-term um, fix, really, instead of doing that, I mean, perhaps a, a, a more sensible strategy would have been to go back to kind of Hitchens' list and, and see if Ten Hag or someone like that could be persuaded. But obviously, you know, the, the, the strange thing about football is Spurs made a series of really bad decisions, I think, and I think we can all agree on that. Um, but have nonetheless landed on their feet and ended up um, with one of the best coaches in the world. They only had to make one right decision and, you know, suddenly everything feels very positive again, despite, uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, a couple of years of, of pretty poor decisions at the very top. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, how, how much do you think Paratici played in, played in that role to get Conte in. He was intrinsic, right? It was, it was all him. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think he played a huge role, and I think he's he's almost kind of justified his appointment just in managing yeah. sorry, Conte to come. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's what I, I feel. I just can't imagine that Spurs would have been able to get Conte without Paratici there and without that relationship. So yeah, I think he was really influential, and uh, he was. It almost felt like when he was hired at the time, he came in a two with Conte because immediately Spurs were, were kind of in talks with Conte once Paratici had agreed to take the job. Um, and then as soon as Conte said no, you, you kind of thought, oh, well, do we need Paratici? Um, even though, you know, there, there were other reasons for him coming in. Um, yeah. he's, he's running, essentially running the football side of the club now. Um, but he's yeah he he played a big part in getting Conte in and, and I think has really kind of justified um, Levy's decision to to sort of hand over the reins to him. If Daniel Levy's weakest aspect and and by weak I still think he does a, an excellent job in comparison to some other chairman mm. in the league. But if his weakest part of his game his game his weakest part of his skill set is um, is managing the football side of it, it seems like a bit of a masterstroke to bring someone in like Paratici who has had such successes in really massive football clubs. Um, it was encouraging. It seemed completely logical when that happened. Sort of akin to when, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, that well. Because I'm about, how, how, I'm, how old are you, Dan? I'm 33. 33, so you will remember it. But it, it was when Frank Arneson was... Um... Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Right, right. So <clears throat> when he brought, brought him in, and we brought Santini, and hmm. we brought in Yol as Santini's number two, it felt logical. It all made complete sense. I understand why that's happening. I understand why that's mm. happening. And I understand that Martin Yeo is being groomed to take over from Spurs. And it seemed like there was this plan. And, and it wasn't, it was Daniel Levy's plan, but it was going to be executed by people who knew how to do it better than he did. And that's that's what it feels like right now, is that Paratici comes with him a, a, scout net, a, a, a scouting network, or I'd imagine at least influence over certain agents and players, great reputation in Italy. There's some incredible players in Italy that we can pick up at the moment. Yeah, Conte, yeah it feels I like completely agree. Uh, I mean, Levy has actually always liked the director of football, the kind of European model it used to be called. But I think I think you know most clubs are, have since adopted that. But from the his earliest days at Spurs, I think Levy was was a kind of pretty early adopter and proponent of that model. Um, you, you always quite like the idea of having a sporting director or whatever you want to call it in position. Um, and he's obviously lurched kind of between 
um, setups over the years. You know, we've had managers, or head coaches under directors of football, and you know, we had um, Baldini and uh, Camoli and, and Arneson, as you said, and we've had bosses like Redknapp and and sort of latterly Poch, who who didn't want to work under a director of football and wanted more control. Um, was that was that a direct re- request from Poch? Yeah, I think Poch didn't like working um, un- under a director of football. You know, he, he liked um, being the manager. You know, he wanted to build a kind of, he wanted to have a, a kind of bit more influence on, on the football side of the club. Um, and yeah, he started off as a head coach and his job title changed when he got given his first five-year contract um, and, and Aldini, Aldini left. Um, I think, you know, that, that that's that's something that, you know, Spurs fans have to consider. I mean, there's less clamour for it now with Conte for obvious reasons. But I remember, you know, just a couple of months ago, it felt like the, the sort of great hope for Spurs fans was that Potts would, would come back and save the club at some point. Um, and, you know, I do wonder whether that's still likely with Paratici in place. It, it doesn't feel to me like you know, Potts would be as happy working in the current setup as he was when his office was next to Levy's and he had that great relationship with Levy and he could just kind of pop over and, and talk directly to the chairman. You know, would Is he the kind of manager that, that wants to work with um, with, with a kind of buffer between him and Levy? I'm not sure. Um, but obviously it works perfectly for Conte because he's, you know, he's great mates with, with Paratici and, and um, yeah, they've got an existing relationship. Uh, it's probably easier to say this because... It, that, that this is our reality now, and Conte has the reputation he does. But I, 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 if if I had the choice between Pochettino or Paratici and Conte, I think I would almost certainly choose and be much more excited about Conte and Paratici than I would about bringing Poch back. I don't. I, when you say there's a, I'm not sure if these were your exact words, but maybe this is something I've read elsewhere. But there was a clamouring for Pochettino to come back. I think there were some Spurs fans, some romantic Spurs fans, that wanted him back. But I, I would, I'd be surprised if it wasn't fifty-fifty in a poll whether it would be a good idea to actually bring him back if we had a, a better or an, an alternative available when Poch was properly mooted to be coming back and you know you'll know better than me but how how close that was to to happening but it seemed like he wanted out of PSG and we were well we we were we would we needed a a manager bad and it it looked like it might happen but we're in a situation where it's like this is the best option we have now what 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 did you make of that situation where Poch seemed like he was maybe coming back and he wanted out of PSG is that yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know how close it got or how serious both sides were, but I mean, my feeling is that Poch has always enjoyed showing a bit of leg to his former clubs, right? I mean, whenever he got asked about PSG or um, even Espanyol or something when he was Spurs boss, you know, he would always be um, you know, ref- very open to the idea that he might one day go back there. And obviously, he, he he always used to kind of flirt with Real Madrid as well in, in Spurs press conferences when he was um, at the club. So and he he was always very very liked to be loved and, and very kind of keen to keep his options open. Um, and I think over the summer, you know, that there was contact between Spurs and Poch, but I do suspect that a lot of it was kind of you know Poch still being in contact with people at the club, being quite miserable at PSG where he was you know living in a hotel and. 
Um, he hadn't got his family over there because of the pandemic. And, you know, he was finding, already finding the club quite political with, um, you know, the way it's run and the influence of Leonardo. And, you know, he probably quite enjoyed um, the fact that, um, you know, Spurs were, were, were kind of showing interest in him again. And he probably, you know, reciprocated that interest. But that's not to say that, he ever seriously thought about coming back or or PSG ever <laughs> remotely considered letting him go. Um, I think to go back to Spurs when they were in the UEFA Conference League and not even try and win the Champions League with, with PSG would have been quite a questionable career move for Pochettino. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, ultimately, as much as he loves Spurs, he knew that and, and probably it was more about kind of him feeling loved maybe or, or, or just kind of wanting to keep a good relationship going than mm. ever seriously thinking that Spurs were an option for him at that point. But, you know, that said, we know that him and, and Perez have both kind of openly said publicly that they'll come back to Spurs in the future. Um, so I certainly kind of wouldn't rule it out further down the line, but I think it would have been a bit of a strange move for him in the summer. Um, you mentioned earlier about Conte referring to the managers' meeting today in your press conference you did with him on at nine o'clock. Mm. <clears throat> what? So what did he mean that that uh, that they? So the managers' meeting, every manager of a club or representative goes to these these meetings and then they discuss with the Premier League various things, whatever issues might go. And today's was about the potential mass postponements or a blanket. What, what was what yeah, was the so, meeting about? So, so managers don't normally have direct meetings with the Premier League. This was an emergency meeting because of right. the COVID situation. So I think on Monday, the clubs met to discuss the situation and basically debated three options, one of which was to postpone a round of games on the 28th of December, that round that starts then. The other was to just crack on as usual. And then the third was to hold the season and let everything calm down in terms of outbreaks. And the majority of clubs were in favour of continuing as we are with kind of postponements when the league has to postpone, but otherwise cracking on with games. <clears throat> and then the league yesterday had a meeting with managers and captains to listen to their concerns, which doesn't normally happen, but did happen during the first lockdown and, ha and ha has happened kind of sporadically through the pandemic just to get a, a gauge on views. And I think you know, there, there were a number of issues raised. I think among them, a return to five subs. You know, some clubs pushed, you know, some managers would have said they, they would have favoured postponements. And, and Conte was really saying that all the decisions had already been made and it was like talking to a brick wall. Um, well, in the, the Premier League had already made the decisions. Yeah, it, but, but I, yeah, and I think it felt to me like a dig at the Premier League for not listening to them. But I mean, the strange thing about this is the clubs make Premier League rules. Yeah. Um, that's li that's literally how the Premier League is run. The clubs vote on stuff. And if a majority or, or two thirds or whatever it is are in favour, then um, new rules can come in. So if Klopp and, and Tuchel and Conte want things changed, they need to lobby their clubs as much as I can imagine how frustrating the meeting was and as much as I'm sure the Premier League you know, weren't particularly engaging, clubs have already voted, I think, three times against five subs. So it's not really that surprising that the Premier League would, would be a bit nonplussed by that issue coming up again because clubs have had the chance to, 
to vote on it. I and mean, equally, clubs have already said that um, they want to carry on. So managers saying that they're un, you know they're uncomfortable or unhappy carrying on probably doesn't mean that much to the Premier League. You know, of course it should, and they should be listening to to their managers. But but really, it's it's the clubs who. Um, you know, have have to make these decisions, um, or have the power to make these decisions. Five subs is one that benefits bigger clubs with d- deeper squads, doesn't it? It doesn't help Burnley. It doesn't help Brentford. Yeah, and that that's why it was voted down. I think two or three times last season because it, the big six were obviously in favour of it, um, and and I think a majority of other clubs felt it would benefit the, the big six, so um, mm. voted against it. Um. So there, we we alluded to on the on the pod last week that Klopp takes like a major role in running the managers' meetings whenever they happen. Have yeah. you heard anything about that? I haven't heard that um, directly, but it's, it's not surprising. I mean, I feel like he's increasingly uh, the, the, the voice in the Premier League that you want to hear from on big issues. I mean, I think the way he's I mean, obviously, notwithstanding his, uh, his kind of quite salty post-match comments the other day, yeah. um, I think he generally kind of talks a lot of sense um, when it comes to the, the big issues impacting the game. And, and he's he's just been great on vaccines, I think. He's, he's been a, a leading voice. He's not pulled any punches. He spoke a lot of sense with a lot of clarity. Um, and, and that, you know, that gives him a certain gravitas um, I imagine to go into these meetings and and, and be a leading voice. Um, you know, he. There was a time I think when I first started um, covering covering uh, the Premier League when, you know, you you kind of really wanted to hear from Wenger on the big issues. You know, the the, the reporters would. There was a kind of issue affecting the whole game. He was the person you generally want to speak to about it because he. He gave it a lot of thought and he spoke with a lot of authority and clarity. And I, I do kind of think that Klopp um, is, is that manager now who, who you kind of want to ask about the big issues. But we all hate, I hate him. We all hate him, don't we? Not you, but Spurs <laughs> fans. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I, I think... I, if, if, I literally, Dan, just, just to, I would literally be happy if I never heard a sentence come out of his mouth ever again. <laughs> okay, I've said the wrong thing. <laughs> you have said I mean, the wrong thing. <laughs> you know what I think, like, his... Um, I, I really found it, from a Spurs point of view, like, his, his post-match comments um, the other day, I thought were, were a massive compliment. I thought it was... Spurs fans should have should have just lapped up how unhappy he was. Yeah, for sure. It really said to me that he he now considers Tottenham a threat again. I just don't think he would have been that annoyed um, at when Nuno or or, or even Mourinho is in charge. I think he's he's immediately worried about Conte, and Spurs fans should all be really happy about that. No, no, we're we're happy, we're happy, and I do, we do, I, I, I fully accept that that obviously his saltiness means that we've impacted him. Um, but it's just he's com- like most managers have a little bit more class and grace than him, and he he has this it, from my perspective a a way of he he has this veneer um, that comes across as a very affable, likable man, very jokey, friendly. But the minute something starts going wrong, you actually see you see the genuine Klopp, which is quite a nasty, vile man in my opinion. But he... No, know what you're saying, but I do think there's a, there's an element of um, 
you would like that if he was your manager. You'd like yeah. to see him going yeah, out there, spitting, kicking, and, and kind of fighting his theme corner. I respect that. I respect that his only goal is the success of Liverpool, mm. and that's that's important. And as a Liverpool fan, you would you would love it. And his job, yeah, and and he's doing his job right. If I if I if if he if he frustrates me and and irritates me, then I guess it's it's irrelevant, isn't it? Really, I'm not. I, I'm that's not lost on me. But I um I his comment where he said uh, he goes, they just kicked it as far as they could. Mm. I just think it, it was that necessary. It doesn't change anything. No, it it's was really clearly not, again not the it was, fact. It was either. Just a great compliment because 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 what he really meant was um, Conte completely found a way to to get around our high press and high defensive line and it was really annoying that that's what he, that's what he meant but he said it in a, in a really salty way but that, that's what happened but he should have said he should have said Tottenham were the better team about I, I I doff my cap and now I'm gonna go <laughs> doff my baseball cap <laughs> to them yeah yeah <laughs> um how much uh, insight do you have on potential transfer markets uh, potential transfer targets because when we read it you know on twitter and stuff everything's taken with a pinch of salt now mm. do you get much insight is there any player that you think we're genuinely looking at um or is it hard to say i mean well i don't want to give away any um insight i might have and it's and i don't have a lot of insight really but into transfer targets that is because because obviously they're often kept very close to the inside but i mean i think it's fair to say that um spurs will be wanting to use or using what you were what you alluded to earlier which is um Peretici's kind of contacts book um in europe and and what he did very well at juve in building up the club was was he was very astute at using the the free transfer market um which is why I think guys like Frank Kesty at AC Milan um linked, obviously. Um I think there's a centre half at Inter <coughs> name escapes me now. Was it Skirinar? Uh, I don't know. Uh um I can't remember. But th- yeah. I think he I think he will be looking at um he will be looking at, at trying to get um Stefan de, de Vries. Um, who I think is out of contract. I mean, I'm not saying these these are people that I've that I know Spurs are interested in. I'm saying they're people that have been linked that I think make a lot of sense for Spurs because they're yeah. you know they're they're established players. Um, they're out of contract, and that, that's what Paratici did very very well um, when he was at Juve. Um, so I, I think that's that's a route Spurs will, will go down. As ever, like a lot depends on on outgoings, and I think more kind of more interestingly now is, is the outgoings because I mean I can say that like a few weeks ago for sure Spurs were looking you know at a loan deal for Delhi which is, is kind of public knowledge now you know, they, they were quite keen to move him on I think Winks, Doherty and Bergwijn were all players they would have listened to offers for happily um, but now you know in, in the last couple of games um, you're starting to wonder about that you know would it be smart to to let Delhi go, particularly with the pandemic situation as it is, when he showed what he can do against Liverpool, I mean, surely you want a kind of motivated Delhi in the squad under Conte um, yeah. if he can, you know, if he can do that on a, on a more regular basis. Same with Winks, same with Bergwijn. Um, so well, he talked that, up Winks, really didn't he? Now I think he talked up Winks in a big way. 
So he, play he, he, the... he likes Wings, and Wings has kind of always wanted to to stay at Spurs, I think, and fight for his place. Um, and yeah, he was kind of desperate and, and desolate under Nuno, and, and, and just thinking he'd have to get out. But he's always wanted to stay, and I think you know under Conte, you, you can kind of see that happening now um, because there's there's something he can offer in that three man midfield that I'm not sure anyone else can really. Um, so he's definitely his future's looking brighter. I think. I think I think the logical thing would just be to give, you know, if Conte can start turning these players on again, and Winks suddenly has a role to play, and Deli Ali suddenly has a role to play, um, then just because previously as fans we've perceived them to not be good enough, doesn't mean that they should now be sold. And we should give Conte every opportunity to change, and the players every opportunity to to restake their claim in the first team. That's only a positive thing. And then Paratici has to do less work. Not that we shouldn't improve the squad, but just having options of players that are doing their jobs when and doing what the manager's asking them is only a positive thing. I don't want Winks to go or Deli Ali to go because they are Deli Ali and Harry Winks. It was only. I wanted both of those players to go in the summer because I didn't think they were good enough, but mm. they didn't have the right influence or the manager that, to get the best out of them. Deli Ali's had one good game, so I'm not getting carried away with him, but yeah. Winks seemed a lot more... He seems a lot more deliberate. Everything he's doing is a lot more deliberate. Same, mm. with, same with Skip. Like, he's... The whole... Actually, everybody. I mean, you've seen the running stats. We talked about it on the pod yesterday, but the running stats have, have gone from the, 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 the worst in the league to the best in the league within eight weeks of Conte being there, which is... Um, which is absolutely mad. Um, so I, I get take from what you're saying. You don't believe there's a war chest at, at Spurs. Well, I, I don't the second think... question to that is: Have you ever used the word war chest? I have, in an I article? have used the word war chest. Maybe, <laughs> I love it. Maybe <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, one thing I, I think um, is that the the kind of perception about Spurs not spending money. Um, is changing or should be changing um, because there's clearly been an uplift in spending since the new stadium, which is what Levy said would happen. Uh, I still see a lot of Spurs fans, mainly on Twitter, who, who are acting as if, you know, the, the club's gone the last couple of summers and, and barely signed anyone like 2018. But that hasn't happened. Actually, Spurs have been pretty active um, in the market and spent, you know, they, they spent £50 million on players and I think three consecutive windows now. So there's clearly mm. been an uplift and there clearly is money to spend because of the stadium. Um that's obvious. I guess I guess what they what people mean is while we've spent we bought Romero, we bought Ndombele, we bought Lacelso all for big money. And it doesn't I think people forget that we spend that money if that player isn't as good as they hoped they would be. Yeah. Also, also, I think the other thing where it comes from, you know, it's forty million on Davinson Sanchez. I know that was a further back, but we do spend money. Yeah, there's there's a question about how well Spurs are spending money. Yeah, that's another. Um, yeah. But I don't think there's a question that they've been more willing to spend big into the new stadium. Well, um, what sort of Re- Reguilon was twenty six, wasn't he around that? Yeah. Twenty three yeah, maybe. Remit. Emerson Real thirty million. Hoybier was twelve. But you, you know these are. Cessignon was big money as well. I don't know if it's, you know, that was depending on how well he does at Spurs, but it was still potential big money. What I think people get frustrated by is that we, there isn't speculation. It's, it's, it's a balanced approach in that we 
won't spend a lot more than than we bring in. But that is the nature of what of football and financial fair play now is that you can't. Spurs are in a good position because we've been so well run previously. Like we could, without falling foul of fair play, spend quite a fair bit of money. Like you know, like Everton are in a bad situation. Yeah, I saw some stats saying that Spurs could spend hundreds of million or something yeah. without falling yeah, so... out of fair play. So that, that that gives you an idea of how well Levy's been able to run the club. And and yeah, I, th- I think um, obviously the the pandemic, as Levy has said, came at the worst possible time, and and that will unfortunately um, make a difference. As will not being in being in any European competition, particularly the Champions League, that will make a difference negatively. But I mean, I think on the whole, you know, there, there will be money to spend. But January is never a great time to spend. I mean, people kind of getting very excited about transforming the squad in the January transfer window is it's just unrealistic. I mean, generally, the best you can hope for is is maybe, um, you know, start shipping out the Deadwood, maybe move on two or three players and maybe get a couple in, you know, perhaps one on loan, perhaps one permanent, something like that. I think that that would be a realistic window for Spurs. Um, it's not going to be, the, you know, the kind of big overhaul. That would have to you know, wait to, to start in earnest in the summer. And it doesn't feel like a. I don't think potentially an overhaul is is necessary. I don't. It did feel like that back in the day that the squad wasn't good enough under Nuno, but that's in part clearly down to him as well. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking two or three players that improve the first team in the Champions uh, in the summer would be enough. Well, that's would, another. That's another kind of interesting thing about January. I, I agree with you. You look at that squad now and you think. You know, are they just a, a second striker or another kind of forward who can play up front? And then maybe, um, you know, uh, a wing back or a centre back. Yeah. You know, are, are they a few players away from you know really being in a strong position for top four and get to get straight back in the Champions League in Conte's first full season in charge? Um, which, which I think they are. So that would then, you know put a bit more pressure on January and it might it might be interesting to see if Spurs are, you know, if something comes up and it's often about, you know, what comes up in January, but if something Opportunity, comes up, yeah. yeah, you know, are, uh, are the club, you know, is Levy and, and, and Paratici kind of prepared to to just go for it and, and put Conte in a really strong position to, to get back into the top four? Okay, I'll leave it there because it is Christmas Eve. Um, but Daniel, thanks, Daniel. Why have I just called you Daniel? <laughs> Dan, I'm, Dan, I'm not your mum. Daniel, so I'm, I'm getting that this week. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Dan, thanks so much, mate, for giving your time. It's been really, really interesting. And um, it's uh, yeah, it's always fascinating to talk to you and get someone who's so so close to, to you know, the everyday workings of a football club. It's something, as I say, as, and you, this isn't it's something you're well aware of, but it's um, the relationship as a fan is there is a there is this invisible wall between the club and and the supporter and the closest you get is to getting into the game but when you're talking to them like the the, the players and the, the managers from a fan's perspective are almost like mythical if you saw them down the street you'd be starstruck and that isn't do, do you understand what I mean by yeah, that? I do. Like... yeah I do I mean there's often a, a literally a physical wall between uh, me and the players sadly but yeah I, I, um, I know what you mean I, I never I, I never get bored of being able to it's a fight. 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 It's a f
Like, did, did you feel like we built a relationship? Not like on a friend's level, but like, did you feel like there was a camaraderie between you and some of the previous managers? Um, I felt like I had a... I mean, Poch knew who I was. Um, did he know your name? Would he call you Dan? I, I, I think so. He, I don't think he used anyone's names, but I think he did know my name. Um, I mean, yeah, he... He actually got a bit annoyed with me at one point, but that's probably a story for another time. But yeah, he definitely did know. No, no, you can't say, you can't just say that and go, oh. I'm not going to tell you it though. Why did uh, he annoy you? That, that, I remember in one press conference, um, I had <laughs> I had tweeted misinformation about Vincent Janssen and Poch called me out on it in, when the cameras were off um, and said, you get that wrong. Um, oh. And he was, a bit spiky, you... he was a bit spiky about it. And then... Uh, not long after that, I went to do an interview with a few other journalists before the Champions League final, like a big sit down. And Poch was obviously, it was the Poch's happiest time at the club, those three weeks before the final. And he sort of said that he, he loved it. And he was in great spirits. And he was saying like, if if we win the final, I'm going to have a massive barbecue for all the journalists and bring sort of Croatian, no, Croatian? Argentinian um, steak along and then we can have a barbecue outside. And then at the well, end, he kind of said goodbye to everyone. And he can't. He, I can't remember exactly what he said now, but he keeps. You're not coming. And I've, I've forgiven you for, for, uh. <laughs> for misinformation about Vincent Janssen. I was like, well, thank God for that. How would he? So would it be the press officer that told him about that? Are you, he surely wasn't browsing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it would have been press officer or or Jesus Perez because because Jesus is, knows everything that anyone is saying about everything, you know. And he's on Twitter, and I think he would have seen. Um, I think it was. I think Janssen was injured, and Spurs had, if, from memory, and Spurs had kind of recalled him or blocked a loan or something. And I, I didn't know he was injured. And I said, "Why on earth did Spurs treat him like this? When, you know, he's not even getting in the squad. This is if they've screwed him over, something like that." Mm. Um, and I think Perez would probably have said mentioned it to Poch. So Perez is a grass, is what you're saying? He's grassed me up, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, but to answer the question, yeah, I think Poch would have known who I am but I'm not going to kind of claim it was a, it was a great relate you know, great personal relationship or anything but I think Mourinho and Nuno probably not I mean and part of the reason for that was you know it was all on Zoom so it's yeah. far less chance you're literally not in the room with someone there's, there's less you know there's less interaction before during and after press conferences which is which is the main time you get to be near managers yeah, I can imagine you're looking forward to actually being able to get back in a big room with 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 the managers. At the moment, you're still on still on Zoom, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we we had a couple of in person presses with Conte. Literally, they were just coming back before uh, Omicron, um, and now they're back on Zoom. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Flav. You're welcome. Merry Christmas, mate. Cheers, mate. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Sports Social Podcast Network. Virginia isn't for one type of person. Virginia is for road trippers. Are we there yet? Mountain hikers and dock sitters because they're not active hikers. People who are kayakers. People who are not kayakers. Campsite campers and horseback riders. Wow, there's a lot to fit in here. Flatwater lovers, beach sun tanners, hole in the earth explorers, and Shenandoah valleyers. Should I keep going here? Well, you get the idea. 
because Virginia is for all sorts of lovers. So come love it for yourself. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.